And then I felt, uh, felt God pour something out of me. Just I've never had this happen before in preparing a message. I've prepared thousands of them. And I just I'd started it, and all of a sudden it was like prophecy started coming out of me. And I just began to, to, to type it out and just pour it out of me. And, and I looked back on it, and I realized this is really God having me speak over this, this body of believers what He wants to do. And I felt it was so important that before I just stood up and did this that I wanted our elders to hear this from me and a chance to share my heart and to listen to them. So I, I moved it from last Sunday to this Sunday so that I had a chance Wednesday night to meet with them. And it was a, a really a good... We've got a great group of elders that are re- really together. But what binds us together is not so much we're all the same and we don't all think the same way. We have different backgrounds, different ways of thinking. But there's one thing, one thing above everything that holds us together and our sort of commitment to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to do His will in this place. And because of that, I have confidence that anything we do that I share with them will come to the place of, by coming to a place of agreement that we will know the will of God. And so I'm going to pray and then I want to read what God told me to write. And I'm reading this not so much for you to even grasp it, although if you go to the website and download the notes, you will see this as the beginning of the notes. It's called a prologue. And again, I've never done this before. And as I was sharing with the elders, it was not so much that you need to grasp what's in here. I really had a sense that this was prophesying. And some prophecy the Bible teaches is telling what is going to happen. But there's a prophetic word, and, and many times preaching is a prophetic word. It's declaring into the spirit realm what God says, what God wants. And this came to me several years ago in a time when we had fasting and prayer together. And, and the Lord took me to a passage in, in uh, Ezekiel, where Ezekiel's taken by an, uh, uh, an angel, to, whether it's in a vision or how it was, I guess it was a vision, uh, to see a, a valley filled of dried up bones. And it represented Israel. And, and the prophet speaks to God and said, can these bones live? And, and God says, speak to the bones. And so as he begins to speak to the bones, then what happens is the Spirit of God goes forth and begins to bring life to those bones, then it begins to bring the bones together into order, and as he speaks again, every time he speaks, the Spirit of God goes forth and does a work that cannot be done by man. And where God's calling us to go and to do cannot be done by you or me. It cannot be done by great programs that as a staff we come up with. This has got to be done by the Spirit of God or nothing's going to happen. And that's the only way I want it because that's the only way the Bible ordains for this to do. So I want to read this and just listen as best you can. But this is the, the purpose of this is more to declare something and then we'll get, get into the message. All right. Today we begin a journey together that will transform your life and your walk with Christ if you choose to join us. It will also transform this church. For 40 years we have basically been the same. We've been known for the teaching of the Word of God. And God has been good to us over all these years. He's brought us through a number of serious challenges. And yet by His grace we remain strong today. But I do not believe that what, where we are now is what God ultimately has for us to be or has for us to do. For some time now, I have been sensing that we are approaching a crossroads for FCC, and by necessity, each of us. A crossroad is a place where a choice has to be made about whether you stay on the same path or you head in a new direction. We've made a number of changes here over the last several years. This new stage, new lighting, now new chairs, now a united service time, and soon we will have a cafe where we can meet together and visit with one another. All these changes are good, but they're merely cosmetic. 
The journey we are being challenged to take will bring us, bring about a fundamental change to who we are as a church, as believers, and to why we do church at all. Church in this country has become focused on how big we are, the size of our attendance, how much money is brought in each week, and many churches are doing great things for the kingdom of God. And there is nothing wrong with size in and of itself. But I'm concerned that in the process of focusing on growth, the church has lost touch with our main purpose. Jesus said in Revelation 2, He told the church at Ephesus that they had done many good things for Him, but He was displeased because in the process they had left their first love of Him. The journey we are being offered to take has much uncertainty to it, and we don't like uncertainty. On this journey, we're not being told where it will take us or exactly what it will cost, but we are promised that it will produce the most liberating, life-giving walk that God can provide. Jesus has told us that not everyone who is invited will choose to take this journey. And this journey is not some new fad or some the latest theory. It's nothing more or less than a journey to which Jesus has called, already called each of us. There's nothing new in this journey. We've already heard it, but very few have actually chosen to walk it out. We are going to walk this together. This is journey, the journey we are being called to to is to simply follow Jesus wherever that may take us. Amen. Now let's open our Bibles to to, uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. This is really picking up where we ended last week. And what we're going to talk about is just relax, first of all. This is, this is some, a journey Jesus is leading us on. And if He's leading us, He knows how to get us there. And as long as we don't take our eyes off of Him, we will get there. But the purpose for this, message, this series, at least the beginning of the series, is to teach us how to follow Him and what that means and what it begins with. But to do this, we're just going to lay a foundation today. So we, we ended last week in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. We, I really felt last week, but when I, I knew that I needed to wait one week to start this series, that I said, oh Lord, okay Lord, what, what do I do this Sunday, which was last Sunday? And I really felt to just do the same scriptures, but I saw that it was really laying a foundation, and this is why we're going to pick up there. Because if you recall last week, this is a letter, the last letter we have from, from the Apostle Paul. He's in a jail. He's not in a jail the way you and I would think. He's in a pit. And when Tony Cook was here last September, he showed us pictures of this because it's still there. It's literally a, a hole in a stone. And there's no lights in there. There's no sanitary facilities in there. It is a pit. And this is where Paul wrote this letter from. And he wrote it to his protege in the faith, his son in the faith, who was at this point believed to be overseeing the churches in Ephesus. And he wrote it to him, not about doctrine, but to encourage him and to instruct him into some of the very most important things that were on Paul's heart before he was about to be executed. And we went through some of those things last week because we're in a very similar time today that Timothy was in when this letter was written to him. But we're going to pick up in chapter 4. We're just going to go through the first eight verses. I charge you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, and that's still true, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. So that's what we're doing. We're preaching, declaring the word, whether it's popular or not popular. Convince, 
rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires they will have itching ears that will heap for, they will heap up themselves teachers. We talked about this last week. This is going on today. There are many distractions out there in churches today that are doing exactly this. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We talked about what those were last week. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Calls him back to focus in on why Paul has sent him to Ephesus. Now Paul's going to turn his attention to himself. And this is to encourage Timothy. For I've already been poured out as a drink offering. That's a concept from the Old Testament. That's a form of sacrifice. But he's basically saying, I've emptied my life out. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good... This is his testimony. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. We talked to that, about that last week. There is a day coming when we give an account, and there are rewards and judgment that's handed out. Not to me also, but all those who have loved His appearing. So these are Paul's farewell comments to his son in the faith. And he's already warned Timothy about the dangers of the threats to come. And we talked about three different kinds of threats last week. We talked about an outward threat from the Roman government and from the, from the, from the Jewish authorities, the outward persecution. And that's beginning already in this nation against the church. And we talked about that last week. That's not a bad thing. In some ways it's a good thing because it makes us decide what we really believe and whether we really believe it. And then we talked about a, a, a pressure which was deception from within the church different teachings and different doctrines, all of which are designed to pull us slightly off track. Because all it takes is a little bit off track to be off track and, and to end up way off track. And then we talked about, about uh, 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 threats from within the church. So we talked about all those things. And Paul gives instructions in this letter of how to handle that. And we're not going to go back on. We're going to focus on now, how did Paul finish so strong? What, what, why did Paul, with all the things he went through... Well, let's look at some of the things he went through. Let's go to, to, uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because Paul describes some of the things he went through. And if you're ever having a bad day and feeling sorry for yourself that you're being terribly persecuted because somebody in the, at work doesn't like you, go through these verses. 2, 2, Timothy, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. We could go through a lot more here. But I, are, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. So basically Paul's saying, I don't want to get in the background. Just forget that right now. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in stripes above measure, those stripes were, were, were the same kind of, of beating that Jesus went through. We'll see that in a minute. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often, or the threat of death. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, 39 stripes. The same scourging Jesus went through, Paul went through five times. Three times, verse 25, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, that didn't mean he was drinking things he shouldn't have drunk. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils which means 
overboard, perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Besides all these things comes on me daily my deep concerns for all of you, the churches. How in the world did he make it? when you and I had trouble going through just a bad day. And Paul finished it with joy. Well, let's go back to 1 Timothy because there's another interesting verse in here in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul's again in the beginning talking about Timothy. He said this, verse 15, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. So Paul poured his life out for the churches in, 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 in the Galatian area, in what's now Turkey, the, the Asia Minor, the first place he birthed the churches, and they all backslid. I mean, imagine, you poured your life out, and they all walk away. I've had that happen in ministry. You pour your life out for somebody, and then they say, well, they don't even tell you, they just leave the church. They don't even have the courtesy to come and tell you they're leaving. They just, it's like they use you. Well, that's what ministry is. They, you get used in ministry but used up for the Lord's purposes. So Paul's attitude was not, oh my gosh, look what's happened to me. Paul's attitude was, I've done what I was called to do. I've finished my course. I've run my race. And in the process, I've kept my faith. How could he do that? Because he's using this as an example to encourage Timothy, who we saw last week, was beginning to waver under the pressure. Timothy was beginning to waver under the outward pressure of the outward persecution. He was beginning to waver under the, under the, under the criticism he's getting because he was a young pastor. He was being pressured because there was deception coming. There are days when you want to just throw in the towel and say, I can't do this. It's just too much because it's coming at you from all sides. And I've had those days many times when all of hell seems like it came against me to just pack up my bags, my wife, and leave, and if now, to take Molly with me. Because <laughs> when I come home, Molly's smiling and wagging her tail. No matter what kind of day Molly's had, she's glad to see me. All right? But I can't do that. Paul couldn't do that. Why? Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Because the why is what we're going to now begin to study and look at. Acts chapter 9. One of the most significant chapters in the Bible is this because it's a very dramatic effect of proof of some things which we don't have time to get into. This is the story of Paul's conversion. And we're going to have to just pull a few verses out of this. Verse 3. Now, Paul, at this point, isn't Paul. He's Saul. Saul was his Jewish name. And Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, if you can see his pedigree, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. He was, he, and he was, he was uh, one of the most devout, zealous of the Pharisees. And he was of, of Pharisees, he's called himself Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he saw, as well as many of, of the sincere Pharisees, he saw this new Christianity as a heresy, because it was, they saw is it was getting rid of the law of Moses. And, and, and so he was, he was a messenger from the Pharisees to destroy the church because he didn't know it was the church then. 
because the key was that this Jesus was being preached as the Messiah because they were all looking for the Messiah but they didn't believe he was the Messiah they believed he was a heretic because he said he was also the son of God and in the Old Testament it doesn't say that the Messiah is going to be the son of God so they couldn't recognize who he was they thought he was a heretic just to say you're the son of God they picked up stones to kill him and so Paul is sincere he's 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 devout, and he's going there with letters of instructions and authority to arrest the Christians. This is his message. And he's on the road to Damascus on a horse, and a blinding light at midday strikes him so strong he falls off his horse. And he hears this voice. Verse 3, As he was journeying along near Damascus, suddenly a light shone from around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you hindering what I've started? He says, why are you persecuting me? He's in heaven. But it was the believers Paul was going to persecute and Jesus didn't just take it personally because we're going to get into when you come to Christ you are joined to Him. So whatever, whoever He is, you now are. So whatever happens to you happens to Him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so Saul's answer is verse 5, And he said to me, Who are you, Lord? He doesn't say, What are you doing? What? He just, it's personal. Notice Jesus addresses him by his name. Saul's answer is a personal answer. Who are you? Because the entire church is built on this revelation of who Jesus Christ is. At one point, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they answer, some say you're the prophet, some say you're this, some... But he said, well, who do you say they are? Peter speaks up and says, you are... Now listen, Jesus, the man, Jesus, whom they all knew he was, an historical figure who existed on this earth 2,000 years ago plus. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one we've been waiting for. And by the way, the anointing one we've been waiting for is also the Son of God. That's going to become important for us in a few minutes. And Peter says, flesh and blood, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. So the issue is, who is this Jesus? So Paul says, who are you, Lord? Jesus answered and says, the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So trembling and astonished, I guess he would be. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Notice the, proje- notice the, notice the, the, um, the progression there. It starts with, who are you? And once the revelation of who he is begins to hit Saul, now his response is, what do you want me to do? That's the same thing that happened back in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his great sermon. And basically says, oh, by the way, the one you crucified, that's the Messiah. And the Messiah is the Son of God. And when that revelation hit them, they said, what must we do? So you know He's gotten through to you when your response is not, that's nice. 
Not praise God, praise the Lord, hallelujah. It's what must we do? And I believe with all my heart that, that if God will anoint what we're about to go, and He will, that our response as this begins to get through to us is, Lord, what must we do? What must we do? Lord, I'm beginning to see who you are in my life. What must I do? Because you can't see who he is and not want to do something. If you don't want to do something, you're not seeing who he is. Oh, you may have seen it 20 years ago, but do you see who he is to you today? I asked the question last week, and we'll probably come up again. Is Jesus more real to you today than he was a year ago? Is he more real? Don't answer. Just let that percolate in. Is he more real to you today? Let's go down to verse 15. So he's, he's led into Jerusalem, into, into Damascus, and he waits there three days without eating or drinking. And while he's there, Jesus gets a hold of a man named Adonias and says to him, I want you to go to the street called Straight, and I want you to deliver a message to this Saul. And Ananias says, whoa, 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 who? <laughs> Lord, don't you, know, like, don't, don't you know who this man is? Like Jesus, oh, no, I'm sorry, Ananias. I wasn't thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I forgot who this man, see, who Paul was, oh, this is good. Who Paul was has nothing to do with what Jesus can do with him going forward. Ananias, but I know this man. I know what he's like. I know what he's come to do. And Jesus, it doesn't bother me. You don't know what I can do with him when he sees who I am. Some of you look at God, yourself, but you don't know what I'm like. You don't know, I don't, can't do this. I can't speak. I can't do these things. I, you don't know what my background has been. Jesus, I don't care what you, you don't know what I can do with you if you'll turn your life over to me. I'm not, I, you, what you are, what you, doesn't limit me. Ooh, this is, whew. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That suffer doesn't just mean bad things. It means go through. And the point here is what turned Saul's life around into Paul to be the man that finished his course through all that opposition, as Jesus called him personally. And it was, and Jesus gave him his commission. And it's the fact that it came from Jesus and his loyalty formed to Jesus that got him through everything. See, it's not your commitment to a doctrine. It's not your commitment to a church. See, I've had people come in, Pastor, this is where God's called me. I am committed here. And I start cringing when I hear that because so many of them have been gone in a matter of weeks. And that's okay but they, they were, because they were committed to a place. Or, but, but it's when you're committed to Jesus. This is what the elders bless me because their commitment is to Jesus. Their commitment is to Jesus beyond any commitment to me. It's their commitment to Jesus. And Paul, Paul's life was completely turned around. The church, was, the, the church universal was completely turned around because Jesus appeared to one man and personally called him to follow him. And Paul's response 
is what began this journey. The strength of the call which comes from Him who calls you is what enables you to finish. Now, on Palm Sunday on an Easter, we did something a little different. We, we started on Palm Sunday, and we, we walked through a little bit of that week, through the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, and then uh, on the, on, in Easter, we walked through it through the eyes of those disciples, those 11 disciples that were left. We walked through it through their, their, their joyful expectation as they came in on the triumphant entry, and people were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and we, we, we imagined that they were filled with hope. This is the culmination of everything we gave up for, is, is we coming, and, and we're going to see him acclaimed now as the one we know he is, the Christ, the Messiah, and he's the Son of God. So they're full of hope because they were going by what they could see. They were going by the public acclaim of who he is, having no idea that in order to come through and be strong and do God's will, they had to go through a process where they saw the denial and the rejection that he came for. But they found that out by Friday night because Jesus had been arrested and beaten and crucified, the Son of God in front of them. And they were now scared. These men that thought they were so committed were scared and they were hiding and we walk through that, that we've got to go through a process of dying to ourselves, dying to our own ambitions, dying to our own way of looking at things through the world's eyes and through our own eyes until we go through that process of, of death to ourselves and that's when the resurrection comes on Sunday morning. And we walk through that too. And now we're going to begin to look to apply this to us. It's not just a Palm Sunday message and not just an Easter message, but it's a today message. It's an everyday message. We're going to start our journey together because that's the end of the, the apostles' walk with him physically on this earth. So what we're going to do is what, kind of what we did with Paul. We're going to go back to the beginning. And we're going to look at how they came to follow him to beginning. We're going to start our journey together at the beginning of their journey with him. And from this, I believe we're going to get a greater understanding of what Jesus has called us to do and how we can and are to respond. I want you to understand this part. This is not just a spiritual exercise we're going through. This is not just another teaching series. This is to bring you to the purpose of your life, the reason why God has you here on this earth, what God has put you here for, what God has called you for, and God has, what God has put this church here 40 years ago, and what God has called us at church to do and to be. It is that important. This is something that's been stirring in me, growing in me for well over a year. God's been working in my life and I am by no means there. I'm only a little bit in front of you, just enough to kind of help, to guide you. And I'm, I'm, I'm makes mistakes and so this is otherwise I wouldn't be equipped to lead you. If I was already there, it's too easy to look back and say, I made it, you can do what I can do. We're going to go there together and that's so important. It's so important. Today is just an introduction. It's a, and what, what, what I believe God wants us to grasp at this point is so, so simple, it's so easy to miss. It's so profound. It's so simple, it's easy. Yeah, I know that. But when you say you know that, you don't have it yet. Because when you know it, you know it. Amen. And your response will be, what must I do? So let's go to, to Matthew chapter 4. Now, what I didn't realize until I studied this is <clears throat> we're going to see um, where Jesus calls uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. 
But what I never, hadn't occurred to me before is, is, uh, is at least Peter and his brother have already met Jesus because in John chapter 1, they have an encounter with him. But there's no... He doesn't call them. He doesn't do anything there. They just have seen who he is. And now what's happened is they're fishing. They're doing their regular job. They're going about their regular business, and they're just fishing. And, 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 and Jesus comes to them personally. Comes to them personally. Let's pick this up in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So the first thing is Jesus came to them. That's so important. They didn't come to Him. Because when we come to Him, we can have a little bit of pride that I made a pretty smart decision here. And somewhere down in our heart can be this little attitude, Jesus, you're so blessed because I'm not like the rest of these turkeys. I came to you. No, Jesus has to find you. We talk about, well, I found you. No, he, you never found Jesus unless he first found you because you were lost. Lost means you don't know where you are and you don't know where he is. He has to come and find you. And he sought them out and he found them. And notice what he found them doing. He found them at work. Oh, that would preach. He found them at their, doing their regular routine, everyday job. He went to where they worked and found them there, and we're going to see what he did. He saw his two brothers, and they were fishermen. Verse 19. And he said to them, follow me. And that's the title of our series here, although we have sub-things we're going to talk about. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right now you're fishermen, but you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will change your identity. Next verse. And they immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nips, and he called them. He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's look at this a little bit. Oh, by the way, over in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, you see a similar scene where Jesus is walking along and he comes up to a tax collector, an IRS agent. But back then, they, they didn't mail you forms. They sat where you went, many of them at the gate of the temple, and you had to come to them and pay your taxes. And what they would do is they were often, the Romans, were, because they were smart, they wouldn't put Romans there to do it. They put, they'd pick Jews to sit there and collect the taxes for Rome. And, the, and, and they, there was a certain amount they had to pay to Rome, and anything above that that they collected, they could keep from themselves. This is why Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the little man that went to see Jesus climb the sycamore tree? And Jesus, he says to him, you know, I, I will return, people will pay half of, what I've, ha, half of what I've taken, I'll pay back. 
And so, so look what he does. And, and he did the same thing. Jesus comes to him, and all Jesus says is, follow me. That's it. And Levi, the tax collector, with all the money there, stands up, leaves all the money, leaves everything, and just follows this man. And that's what I want to spend a little time looking at. We're going to talk about this over several weeks, but I just want to introduce this this morning. This is a call. Jesus is calling them, and we're going to look at this today, simply to follow Him. His promise was that He would change them from fishermen to fishers of men, and their response is they just left everything. That's an amazing scene. I mean, we read it, we're so used to reading it, but put yourself in that place. You're at work, in your little cubicle or whatever you work, and you look up and there's Jesus standing there. Speaks His name to you, and in front of everybody else, He says, you, come, follow me. What would you do? They left everything. They just got up and walked away and followed this man. Imagine what their families thought. Where are you going? What about us? Maybe they're just going to go off and hear him teach today. They, he didn't give them any information. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what they were going to do. He didn't tell them what they were going to get out of it. He didn't tell them anything. Notice what he also didn't do. He didn't tell them to join something. He didn't say, look, I'm starting something new and I'm going to get you guys in on the ground floor. You've got a ground floor opportunity. Your names are going to be written in eternity in a book and people are everywhere going to know you and call out your name. You've got this great opportunity. Now, everything else I'm going to give... Now, I don't have a lot of fringe benefits, but this is, the benefits are out of this world. But, 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 you know, here's what you're going to get out of it. So he, he didn't present a case to them. He didn't plead with them. He just says, you follow me, you follow me, you follow me, you. That is, if you meditate, that is so astounding. Not that somebody did that, but that they all got up and left. Everything. Everything. So what did he call them to do? follow Him. That's it. That's so simple. But it's so hard. We're going to see that as we go forward. Because there's so many other things we want to do besides follow Him. That's too simple. I want to ask questions. Where are we going? Like the kids getting in the car. Where are we going? When am I going to get there? I remember those 14-hour drives to see Anita's parents in Ohio. It's like, we'd leave at 4 in the morning because I think they'd all sleep in the car. I could get at least four, four hours, three or four hours under my belt before they'd all wake up. And I remember one time, I'm just pulling out of the driveway and all these heads go up. It's like, oh no, 14 hours or when are we going to get there? They were wonderful travelers. They, we had a great time traveling. They had great memories of it, but it's like... But, but they were no different and they didn't get it yet fully. This, one of the encouraging things about this journey is they didn't master it at this point. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus is now preparing them for His leaving them. 
So it's going to another, because we're going to see there are several places in his walk with them where he brings them back to this same invitation. And in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going, I'm going to go to, to prepare a place for you with my Father. He says, if you trust in God, trust in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come to you again. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way. And Philip pipes up. Don't hear a lot from Philip. Philip pops up and says, well, Lord, <laughs> how can we get there? How can we get there if we don't know the destination? Because what Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a destination for you, and you know how to get there. And Philip said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Lord, you're, you're not getting this straight. How can we go there if we don't know where that destination is? If we don't know where it is you want us to go, how can we get there? And Jesus' answer, we quote all the time without thinking what he was talking about. Jesus said, I am the way. In other words, the focus isn't on where we're going to go. The focus isn't on how we're going to get there. The focus isn't on the journey to get there. The focus is on me. And if you focus on me, I will get you to where you're supposed to get. Because all you're called to do is follow me. It's that simple. And it's that hard. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what it was going to cost. He didn't tell them what they're going to get out of it. And yet they left everything. And they left it immediately to simply follow him. I see no evidence in here of any fear. I see no evidence in here of any regret, even at the end of their journey. I don't hear any regret. Boy, I wish I hadn't made this decision. Boy, do you know what this cost me? It's interesting. We had a, my wife had a doctor's appointment in Boston with an oral surgeon just as a follow-up to some things that, that he had checked a year ago. And, and, and in the course of... This is our third visit. kind of got to know us a little bit. And, and, and then he found out what I do. But he also found out I'd been a lawyer that I've been a lawyer in Boston in a large firm. And, and I, I love it when a professional person like this special... He's, a, he was a, he's one of the most respected ones in this field. And his brain's trying to process this. Because he said that. He gave me kind of a funny look. And he said, I'm, I'm trying to process this. Because it doesn't compute with the normal course of doing things in our world society. And so his brain's trying to figure out. He said, well, I guess you didn't like the practice of law. I said, I loved it. I was very successful in it. And you can see this isn't computing. Why do you leave something you love that's very profitable and you were successful in it? Why would you, why would, why would you, why would you, why would you, why would you, why would you? And I said, because I discovered my call in life was not to do that, was to do what I'm doing now. And the interesting thing is he began to open up and talk about, about things he would like to do if he were to do something else. Remember that about the baker and things like that? So, he had no, they had no fear, no regret. Oh, I know why I said that to you. Because I'll have sometimes people say to you, well, pastor, you know, look, you made a big sacrifice. I never think of it as a big sacrifice. Because a sacrifice is something you haven't let go of yet. I went to buy yesterday a... a, a, a 
an umbrella thing to put up over our... We put a new deck up last year and put an umbrella up to, to cover the, the deck. And my grandson and I helped... Actually, he did a lot of the work to put this thing together. But when I went to the cashier to pay for it, I gave him the credit card, I paid for it, and then we went outside. I didn't spend the rest of the day saying, oh my gosh, how much money we just spent. Because um, if I do that, I'm still holding on to the money. See, I made an exchange. I decided that that umbrella was worth what I had to pay for it. It was of greater value than the money that I had to give up. So I don't go back thinking about how much money I had to give up because I think about how much money I had to give up. I haven't really let go of the money yet. I haven't completed the transaction. And that's where many of us are with the Lord. We've been offered an exchange and we're trying to go with Him and still hold on to what we used to be. And when, when the, when the, when the quote-unquote sacrifice, when it's a sacrifice, you haven't let go of it. You're still trying to hold on to it. You haven't made the sacrifice yet. Because when you've made it, you let go of it easily. I've never looked back. I've never questioned it. Have there been days? There have been days I, I enjoyed some of the intellectual exercise, but I never think about it. I don't walk into a courtroom sometimes, which I've had to be in, and think, wow, I wish I were back here. What I used to be like. No. Some of the people I miss. Why? Because this is what God's called me to do. I know I'm doing what I'm called to do. And when you answer that call, there's no regrets looking back. So this is the journey that we're also called on. The exact same journey. Jesus is calling each of us simply to follow Him. He's calling this church to simply follow Him. Now, I've discovered in kind of talking with people there, that there's two major concerns people have to this. The first is fear. What's it going to mean? What's it going to cost? Where's it going to take me? I remember, I remember when I made the decision to leave the law firm in Boston and go to Bible school in Tulsa. As a result, we had no health insurance, we had no income, we had no anything, except we got two extra kids in the process. And, and my father, remember him, who wasn't a believer, trying to wrap his mind around this, and he was panicked. Why would you leave this brook of my mother? Why would you leave? She was so proud of me as a lawyer, and now I was going to be a preacher? And I, it cost me. I had a, but my father could not grasp this. In fact, he had the school he went to investigate it. He had somebody investigate the school to make sure it wasn't some cult. Why? Because he couldn't understand this. My, the senior partner I worked under, who was like a, like a father to me in the law, he was, he was, every day I'd go in, once I announced what I was going to do, he was panicked, he was scared, he couldn't sleep at night. I'm sleeping like a baby. And I asked the Lord one time, well, I wasn't trying to help him. Why is, he so, why is he so upset and I'm not? He said, because you heard me call you. He didn't hear me call you. And faith comes by hearing. So when you heard me call you, you had all the faith to step out on it. He didn't hear me call you. He is looking at what you're doing through natural eyes and natural understanding. And it doesn't make any sense. It is scary. It is foolish to do. So we, we, our, 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 one of the common reactions is fear, questions, unanswered questions, because we're used to figuring things out before we step out into them. But this is crucial. And what will I have to do? 
We're tempted to want to have these answers first, but Jesus doesn't give us that alternative. He just calls us. All He asks us to do is to follow Him. That's it. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean? It, means? it may mean something different to you. It will mean something different to you than it means to me. But as long as we follow Him together, we'll all get together where He wants us all to get. It's simply follow me. It's that simple. All He asks us to do is follow. The apparent, listen carefully, the apparent uncertainty in knowing, which is what we all want to do, is replaced by our certainty in Him. I'm going to say that again. The apparent uncertainty in just following Him. Because there's uncertainty. Where are we going to go? I don't, just follow me. What's it going to mean? Just follow me. That apparent uncertainty is replaced by a greater certainty by trusting Him. Yes. See, when our children say, well, where are we going? When are we going to get there? If I didn't answer them, they didn't panic and jump out of the car because they had confidence in us that we knew where we were going and knew how to get there. So their questions were just curiosity. They were not out of fear. I don't know if Dad knows where he's going. They may have questions now. But, they, <clears throat> but they, <laughs> my wife's going... <laughs> but back then, they had, no que- they had confidence in the driver. These disciples had confidence in the one who called them. The apparent insecurity is replaced by our security in Him. There is no greater security, there is no greater peace, there is no greater joy than simply committing yourself to follow Jesus. I can feel the tension. Whenever we fear any of these things, we're not truly following Him, but we're trusting and ourselves. This is a process. So that was the first thing, reaction is fear. The second reaction I found is people listen to this or read this and say, well, I thought we already were. I thought we already were following Him. We're Christians. We're being faithful. We come to church. We tithe, don't we? We do what we're supposed to do. But this is what we're going to discover as we look at what Jesus means when He says, follow me. It's going to be a chance to examine our life and say, am I really been following Jesus? And, 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 and there's no rebuke in this. He's calling us to another level. And we're going to see this as we go through this. Jesus started with the disciples at one place and He led them. See, when you're following Him, He's leading you somewhere. He's leading you into a greater commitment. He's leading you to a greater level of maturity. He's leading you. He's a shepherd. He doesn't give you an assignment and go to the end of the assignment and see how well you did to get there. He takes you by the hand and He'll lead you and He'll guide you. And the whole purpose of this is so you learn to keep your eyes on Him and offer the distractions because we started by talking about the distractions that come into our lives, the distractions of pressures of this natural life, the distraction of kids, the distraction of, of finances, the distraction of, of trying to live our life in this hectic world. All those are distractions that take our eyes off of Him. And as long as you know that your commitment is to follow Him, when you get off track, when you become weary, when you become frustrated, oh, I know, somehow I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. And I'm starting to do Jesus plus other things instead of just follow Jesus. And the most important thing to realize is this is, He's calling you into a personal relationship. 
He's not calling you to go somewhere. He's not calling you to do something. He's calling you in. Jesus said, come follow me. And he came to them personally and individually. And he'll come to you and he's coming to you personally and individually. This came to me personally and individually. We'll talk about how you hear the call. This is just an introduction. We're going to talk about other things because this takes a while to let this begin to settle in our thinking because it's so contrary to typical church thinking even. Forget the world, but just typical church thinking. Because in typical church thinking, we go to church. We go to church and we do our things. We go to church, we sing four songs, we have an offering... There's an off, there's a, there's a, uh, announcements. Pastor John goes up and gives his own announcements. Then we dismiss the kid. We go through this routine. We've had church today. That's wonderful. We feel good. We leave. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not necessarily following him. I read my Bible every morning. I pray tithes. I do all that. That's wonderful. We're things we're supposed to do. But that's not necessarily following him. Are you so on fire for the Lord you can't wait to get up in the morning? and get out of bed and get up. That's what happens when you're truly following Him. You're truly following Him. The distractions of life don't pull you off track. Because when you walk with Him, there's peace. When you walk with Him, there's joy. Jesus walked His disciples through every kind, through stonings, through all kinds of challenges. They were trying to kill Him and throw Him off a cliff. He walked right through them. He walked, they walked into the, into the anger of the Pharisees. They walked, he walked right with them. There was a young man that Jesus healed, blind from birth, in the, in the, in the synagogue, kicked Him out. They kicked Him out of church, and Jesus went and found Him. There's no more exciting way to live life. So the second thing is, well, I thought I was already following him. But this is what we're going to discover as we look at what Jesus says to us and has said to us. And that's the purpose of this series. Are we actually following him? Are we just following his ideas, his ideals, his standards? Are we following him? Now, Jesus tells us not everybody's going to answer the call. We'll talk about that. Not everyone who's hearing me right now is going to get up and shout, Yes, amen, I can't wait to do that. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Just trust Him. He knows how to do this. Just trust Him. He knows how to do this. Just trust Him. He knows how to do this. We shared last week that I believe it doesn't take much spiritual sensitivity to realize that we're facing difficult times. The church itself is. His church is. Those that compromise and water down the Word of God, they won't, but they're no longer His church. His church stands on His Word that says the truth is the pillar of His church, of His body. And persecution will come from that. We've, it's promised in the Word. What will get us through the persecution, what will get us through the difficult times, what will get it through us together, because Satan wants to divide under pressure. Those of you who are married understand that. Under pressure, your tendency is to turn on each other and blame. That's what happened in the garden. Because Satan wants to divide the unity. He wants to separate us. And the key word that the Spirit of God's given me is we're going to do this together. We're going to do this together. We're going to make sure everybody that wants to comes along on this journey, this journey of faith, to follow Him. So don't respond yet. Just listen. Let, this is, this is, I'll end with this. This is something the Holy Spirit has to do. 
in the day of Pentecost, when Jesus appeared to them before he was raised from, before he was ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he told them, he said, you've lived with me for three and a half years, I've trained you, you've got the best schooling you could possibly have, but wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with what you're still missing, which is the power from on high, and that's what the church has been lacking. That's what the church has been lacking. And as I was sharing with the elders, this came to me, that when revival is going to come, but it's not going to come down out of heaven. It's not going to roll in the back door or the side doors. It's going to come out of us. Remember the Sunday that we first were together, the first United service we had a number of weeks ago? And we ended up by singing together that song and holding hands, I Need You to Survive. Remember the atmosphere in this room? Remember the love that was in this room? You could sense the power that was in this room. That was a revival. But you know what? It came out of you. It came out of you. It came out of you getting out of your comfort zone. It came out of you getting aside of yourself. It came out of you forcing yourself to do something our flesh doesn't want to do, which is to look at other people in the eye and just sing words to them and, and, and just to do something outside of our ordinary routine towards somebody else or for somebody else. Look what began to come out of us for each other. Imagine what will happen as together we respond to His call to follow Him. The point is this. The Holy Spirit made that happen. The Holy Spirit made that happen on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit made that happen that Sunday several weeks ago. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to do this down in your heart where you can't reach it. You can't do it. But by hearing the Word, by seeing it, our mind begins to line up so that He can begin to work down inside of us and do what only He what He wants to do and what only He can do. Let's pray. Father, I come to You with some fear and trepidation because we have a good thing here. Our finances are healthy. We've got a nice building. We've got good energy here. People love one another. This is a good church. And we could choose to just stay here and keep doing what we've been doing. But I believe with all my heart you're calling us individually and you're calling us together as a church to leave where we've been, the comfort of where we've been, the comfort of everything that we have that we're used to here, and to simply follow Jesus, to make the commitment, Lord, I answer your call. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to do. But I know this much. I want to follow you. I don't want to go somewhere you're not going. I want to do something you're not doing. I want to follow you. I want to know you better. I want to walk with you every day, every moment of every day. And Father, my prayer today is that this spirit of the living God, the spirit of revival, the spirit of Christ, will so penetrate our hearts with this desire that we will have ears to hear our own personal call. We'll have eyes to see Him, not physical eyes, but spiritual eyes to see His hand reaching out to us saying, Come with me. Come with me. Be not afraid. I go before you. Come with me. Lord, we don't know the way, but we know the one who does. 
And so, Lord, I just put this church into your hands right now. And as your representative here, as the under-shepherd in this church, I just put our future, our calling into your hands to do with us and in us what you want us to do. I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice, Father, that you will calm them, comfort them, help them, excite them, that they're going to come through this knowing you in a way they've never known you before. I don't know how to do that, Father. I can't do it for myself, but you can. Pray for anyone here this morning, Father, this is so new and radical to them, they've never heard of anything like this, that the truth of it would somehow touch their hearts. The sincerity of your spirit would somehow touch their hearts and form in us a desire, a desire planted deep in our hearts to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to answer your call. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.